Welcome to Adventures in Evaluation Podcast with James Coyle and Kylie Hutchinson. So, uh, well, here we are again, and uh, I'm losing track of which week we're on now. Is this our fifth time doing this? You know what, Kylie? I think you know it's probably time to stop counting the weeks, and I think we've got we've settled in here. Yeah, we're here. <laughs> we're parents of a baby podcast. How That's exciting. right. Uh, how was your week? Uh, my week was very good in evaluation. I'm working on a mobile learning course on evaluation for senior decision makers. And so it's been quite interesting thinking about evaluation from their perspective and the things that they need to know. And uh, so, yeah, that was basically my week. And uh, yeah, what about you? Yeah, it was good. I had vacation last week. I had family out. And so I live in the Okanagan. And for those who don't know it, it's a desert. And so they have a lot of wineries here, and so there was a lot of uh, eating out and visiting wineries and taking family photos and then sending them back home. And I'm envious. That sounds great. Yeah, the weather is very good, but it, it feels like fall is just around the corner. I think it is. Yeah, it is here. So today we're talking about, I know we're talking about developmental evaluation, but um, I wanted to just um, tell you about uh, my, I want to, I think I need to recant what I said about eval talk a couple of weeks ago in that uh, I've found it incredibly useful this week. I was looking for examples of real life evaluation policies and I was also from organizations and I was also looking for a couple of other things. And so I popped onto eval talk, signed up, made my posting and I've got some incredible, incredibly useful stuff that's come back. So now it's starting to clutter up my inbox again. So I think when I've got all the responses I need, then I'm going to log off again. But uh, it, boy, it's it's been really helpful this week, that's for sure. So today we're talking about developmental evaluation and I think we're looking at it from um, our different perspectives, you as an internal evaluator and me as an external evaluator. Yeah, it's a really new area in the field and um... There'll be a lot of listeners who are familiar with or have seen uh, Michael Quimpatton, uh, some Canadians, uh, Jamie Gamble and others uh, do talks on or um, hand, hand out uh, uh, some toolkits on uh, developmental evaluation. We'll get into some of that. But um, uh, it may be worth defining evaluation, hey, for, for folks that are listening. I think that's listening. great. Yeah. So instead of reading a, a definition of, of developmental evaluation, I know they're out there, um, I'm, I'm probably going to retell a story that, that you've probably heard. Have you heard Michael tell a story about how, uh, Michael Compatton, about how uh, DE was born and how he came up with the term? I think so. Go ahead, though. Yeah, I think it was in the early 1990s. He was working in um, northern Minnesota on a leadership program for, for community folks. I have heard this, yeah. Yeah, and so the way Michael usually tells the story is in the context of the very familiar paradigm of the traditional formative and summative distinction for evaluation. That sort of improvement and then uh, for formative and then for summative that sort of rendering a, a judgment of merit or worth on a program. The traditional distinction that our philosopher guru Michael Scriven gave us. Mm-hmm. Well Michael tells a story how he um, uh, had a contract, it was a typical contract that a lot of us have had where for a couple years he's working with the program and He's going to give them improvements along the way as they tweak the model in a formative evaluation contract. He reached a point after two years, met with the group on apparently a very cold morning and uh, said, okay, it's time for you to lock your program down. You've done a lot of good changes. It's time for the summative portion of the contract we agreed to. 
Lock it down. Exactly. You know, no more changes. We need to find out if what the standard model is is actually producing, uh, you know, anything of merit or worth. Well, it turns out there was quite a rebellion. Um, apparently, people were not pleased with him, and they, they, they said, well, we don't want to lock it down. And Michael said, uh, well, you know, that's what we do. That's what we have a contract for. And I guess they went back and forth until someone said, you evaluators, uh, you, all you've got is formative and summative. Don't you have anything else? Something like that. And Michael, I guess on the spot, sort of winging it, said, well, sort of, you know, we could do um, developmental evaluation. <laughs> and sort of coined the term. And, of course, uh, people perked up and said, oh, what's that? And he said, that's where you keep evaluating what you're developing. And from there, it just kind of took off. Um, he did a piece, I think it was a New Directions and Evaluation in the early 90s, and started to define uh, in a recent book, uh, Developmental Evaluation, Applying Complexity Concepts to Enhance Innovation and Use. And in other documents from the Canadian McConnell Foundation, you'll see the outline of the characteristics of the situation in which an iterative style of evaluation, a rapid cycle, uh, reality testing and feedback in complex circumstances, uh, often for social innovations, is is done in a way that's a little bit different than formative and summative. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So that's pretty dense. Yeah. So, um, and we should also say that um, uh, some of us, I tend to use the terms process evaluation and outcome evaluation instead of formative and summative, just for some people that are wondering about the difference. So, uh, I'm interested in knowing then, James, I, I, what, is, what has been your experience with using developmental evaluation in your particular organization? Because it definitely is, it's the flavor du jour, it's, it's super trendy, it's super hot, and um, yeah, what, how is it working for you? Yeah, I guess I first really came across it um, about five years ago. Uh, uh, probably at uh, probably really spent a lot more time thinking about it at the American Evaluation Association conference in Denver. I think that was 2008, and uh, watched Michael give a talk on it, reflected on it, and thought, how can we bring this back into the work that we do? My first reaction, which is also one I hear from others, is I think I'm already doing some of this. <laughs> I think I'm already not so traditional in that I'm at arm's length. Sometimes I'm part of a team. Uh, sometimes I'm giving rapid cycle feedback. I, there were pieces that felt um, familiar. I, I think as I've spent more time thinking about it, in my context, uh, two things have emerged. The first is it's a little tough to get people out of the habit, if they've done any evaluation work, of, of not doing a more traditional, uh, we'll call them process and outcome or formative and summative styles of evaluation. The flip side, the other end of the stick has been people really have gravitated towards it very quickly. Uh, some folks have said, I really don't like any of the traditional style because it just doesn't, doesn't resonate with my real world. The real world I operate in is ever-changing. It's really dynamic. We're constantly having to adapt things. There really is no model that is uh, simple, like a recipe, and uh, you know, from a cookbook that I'm copying here. So you evaluators really need to do a better job uh, of making things less linear and appreciate more of the systems we do. 
So I guess to answer your question, most of it has started with conversations about, as always, where our clients are at. And some are, you know, still very in the linear, uh, simple sort of uh, operating space. And that's okay if they actually are there. Others really start gravitating toward this. And James, how have you found it with your with senior executives? Because uh, my sense is that they would they would find this a bit airy fairy. You know, where are our predetermined outcomes, and we've got to report on these to such and such you know ministry or state department. How have you found that? That's a real challenge. The culture that I tend to work in is very accountability driven, but there are pockets, and I think this is where some of the advice. Uh, we get from our, our experienced DE colleagues is start somewhere, uh, start on the bunny hills for those who mm-hmm. know how to ski. Start on the small slopes, not on the black diamonds, and where you can practice and get some traction. Uh, executives are very busy, they're very pressured, but it's um, it's usually a matter of me finding which of executive uh, folks um, are more open to the concept. Does that differ from being an internal or external evaluator in your world? Well, I find that when I present it as an option to my clients and when I've scoped out the program and the context and the background and all of that kind of research, when I present it, they always similarly gravitate towards towards it. There seems to be this kind of fear of being nailed down to something predetermined. And I've also noticed that when doing training on evaluation, which I've done a lot of, and invariably the participants always kind of, I'll I'll give an overview of a number of approaches, including an empowerment evaluation, participatory evaluation, something that's, you know, a goal-based and then developmental. And then we'll have a discussion about which one do you think is more relevant to your particular situation. And invariably, most of them will say, developmental they just they love it and I think there is this kind of sense that it's almost like um, predetermined outcomes or um, you know standards or targets that people have to meet it's almost like that kind of evaluation is evil they come away with thinking and do you think is that a nature uh, or to do with the nature of the kind of programs you're working with? Uh, I mean, I know you often work with community programs that might be more involved in complex social innovations, or have you seen that from from uh, a whole spectrum of different customers? No, I think, you, I think you could be right there because oftentimes if we have people representing the federal government or the provincial government, they'll say right off the top, look, we, we have these expectations, we have these indicators that, uh, or these quality measures that have to be, have to be met. So, um, yeah, they don't tend to kind of fall into the, that camp. But, you know, even Michael Quinn Patton himself says that developmental evaluation is not appropriate for every kind of evaluation. I think ten, people tend to see it as the way to go for everything. Yeah, I'm really glad you mentioned that. That's been probably, and I've talked about this with Michael and Jamie Gamble and others, that's been my biggest beef so far. Um, in healthcare, we often have examples where there is clear, peer-reviewed, published evidence around uh and some people debate this kind of term, they don't like it, but uh, what's often called a best practice. And that fidelity to the model and implementing the, you know, the five or six key steps to uh, ventilator-associated ammonia protocols or something from 
you know, Safer Healthcare Now initiative, which has been well-researched, um, they make it more complicated than it needs to be. And so sometimes we have to have a conversation to, to pull them back or say, listen, it's, it's okay to do something traditional. It doesn't mean it's done. It's a bad thing. Well, and when I think of, of the evaluation approaches that I that I use with my clients, it's rare that I'm using one that is a discrete developmental evaluation or one is, that is a discrete goal-based. It's often a combination of them all. I'm, I'm always having participatory uh, evaluation principles underlying everything. The funder might have you know, some, some expectations that, uh, that we have to assess. Right. And, and then there may be aspects of the program that are still unrolling out. And, and so then we would apply developmental to them. So it's always kind of a mishmash. It's not like you're forced to just, you know, be in one camp or the other, but I think some people too, I've even found, uh, a little bit of a backlash against logic models and mm-hmm. as if somehow if you put it all down on paper, then you're going to be held to that forever. And and I'm always kind of counseling people that your logic model doesn't have to be static. You know, that's why we have a, a backspace key, right? You can you can update them as, right. as things change. Um, so sometimes I think people are taking it a little bit too, too literally. But I'm interested to know how does it um, impact you as an evaluator in terms of your process, the time taken? Are, have you noticed anything in those kind of areas? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, uh, for me, it it does force me to work a little bit differently with the team. And in fact, uh, I think pretty soon uh, I'm going to start probably working with a program that um, may have been given some clear uh, end goals, but that uh, everything in between is not a recipe. Uh, there is no established way to do it. There are many uh, players that don't have the same opinion about how to get to that uh, end goal. Uh, there are many different um, uh, facets to multiple systems that have to coordinate together. And so I'm thinking about how am I going to actually create an evaluation framework, an evaluation data collection plan, how will I how will I do this with them? One of the big changes is that I probably need to be able to sit at their team meetings, be a team member, and give them feedback on a weekly or monthly basis. Yeah, um, and I think this is one of the things that that I'm struggling with is that as a consultant, this. Uh, so I'm working on a on a developmental evaluation that's two years in length, and in some respects, it's been quite interesting because. We didn't really know what we were evaluating and how, so we sat in on the team meetings. And um, now things have come out. We've got a, a kind of a mentoring component of the program, and we've got a very active website and a forum and some social media happening. And then there's going to be a, a toolkit that's developed. And so it's it's you know we're having to bring all of these different forms of data collection. And in some respects, that's been really interesting. What I've found challenging is that I'm attending a lot of team meetings more than I maybe would normally as an evaluator and you know that impacts my time as a consultant and sometimes I can add to the conversations sometimes I can't so that's one thing also I find the the length of time I mean generally 
I prefer to do shorter projects, two-year projects, and this is getting a little bit on a tangent, off on a tangent, but with two-year projects, I find you drop the threads and then you have to pick them up again and you drop the threads and you pick them up again. And sometimes that's kind of a, a personal preference that I find that a bit challenging. And so that's happening with this developmental one. So the extra time that's involved, um, the extra cost for the project, I mean, if you if you are going to do a developmental evaluation and you have to bring in an, an external evaluator, it's just going to up the budget. That's just the, the way that it is. And it makes me think back to a, a DE project that I did quite a few years ago now. And the, the, the project unfolded in a way that I just didn't think the evidence or the evaluation merited. Mm-hmm. And so I found myself in a really difficult position, kind of, all of a sudden I was much more closely aligned with a project that I wasn't really that happy with. And I couldn't mm. just fall back on being, well, I'm just the ex- the evaluator, don't don't blame me. All of a sudden I'm in a, in a, a much more intimate position with a project team. And so those are kind of tricky waters. You know, Kylie, I think in this emerging um, and broad uh, field of evaluation, one thing I've heard is that some people, some evaluators are better suited and uh, some leaders are better suited to working on a developmental evaluation. Um, but some of the characteristics, I'm wondering to kind of pick your brain around what you think are some of the characteristics of people and situations that are actually ready for evaluation in a developmental style. Well, I think they have to be really comfortable with ambiguity. Yeah. And they also have to understand that um, the steps in program planning, they have to be really good program planners. They have to understand that, okay, if you're, we're not quite sure how this is going to roll out, then they need to understand that what a needs assessment does and that the information from a needs assessment will drive those future interventions. And then I can jump in and say, well, here you go. Here are some ways that we could evaluate those interventions. And this is how I can help you do the needs assessment. And this is how we can look at that evidence very carefully. But if, if they don't, if they don't get that, there's still that process. Then as an evaluator, you can be left with some really airy fairy ideas. Yeah. I, yeah, I totally agree. I think, um, one of the, the risks is in any evaluation, but certainly in D is getting, way too enamored with the romantic ideas of chaotic theory of, you know, a butterfly flapping its wings here and affecting something there. And, you know, I I love concepts and ideas as much as the next person. But at some point, you know, we really need to make sure that the customer we're working with is actually ready for reality testing. And that is a real challenge uh, that, uh, DE practitioners talk about because they work with these visionaries, they work with these uh, social innovators who have often had the bad experience working with evaluators of being held back, and we don't want to do that. But the flip side is we also need to work with people that are really serious and open to the rigor of reality testing and and actually having us say, how do you know that? Yeah. What evidence do you have? And I think where we don't have that agreement, it can often lead to frustration. Yeah, so, you know, this idea that everything will develop organically uh, can sometimes 
scare me a little bit because yeah sometimes i need something to sink my teeth into and i'm thinking of an occasion this is this is quite a few years ago doing an about developmental evaluation where um you know what eventually got rolled out just wasn't anything where I had envisioned. And I, I think the person who I was working with was actually just didn't have those program planning skills. They did not have really solid program planning skills. And so a lot of my advice and, and you know, the evidence that I was bringing forward just didn't really come to bear. And so as it went on, I found myself kind of professionally wanting to distance myself Mm. from the the direction that this program was taking i was trying to be a good developmental evaluator and and you know i was coming up with evaluation plans for what what was being developed but it 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 yeah it it wasn't something that i over time i felt less and less comfortable being involved because all of a sudden i wasn't that external evaluator the con- consultant I was considered an intrinsic part of that team, and I thought it would reflect reflect badly on me. You know, you're 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 being honest, and you're citing what I think all of us have experienced at one time or another. I know I have, and that is that not all evaluations go smoothly, no. and they they you know regardless of the results, um, there is a time where each of us in any uh, piece of work need to decide and. And, and we're guided by these uh, great competencies and standards of evaluation practice that we can lean on and, and, and really say, you know what, I think this has gone off the rails. I've tried a few different ways to try and make sure we stay uh, as close to you know uh, professional standards while accommodating the style of evaluation, but it's, it's just not working. Yeah. And, uh, you know, not to get, uh, you know, uh, frustrated with it because we need to be interpersonally appropriate and professional. Uh, but it's okay, I think, to sometimes end those relationships. But I think the main takeaway from, um, you know, what you're sharing is the fact that we all need to be competent and planning competency, uh, leadership competency, program management, uh, project management, and evaluation competencies are all ingredients the need to come together uh, for a really uh, useful evaluation. And I think the developmental evaluator needs to realize that they are going to have to bring those project management and those project planning skills as well. They can't just sit back and be the evaluator. That if they're going to 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 be proud of what the program, how it evolves, then they, they really have to roll up their sleeves and be prepared to bring those skills to the table and to... Um, to act on them as well. Yeah, and that's a perfect point. Another another point that Michael makes is that not all evaluators are ready to do DE. Uh, typically, you have to be uh, pretty eclectic. You have to have a, a multitude of skills. You have to be comfortable with ambiguity, as you said. Um, but sometimes to be really useful, um, you know, is is to take on some of the work with the team. So. And you and you have to come cheap as well. <laughs> yeah, that's the trick, isn't it? <laughs> I'm not cheap, but I'm not expensive either. No, that's right. So uh, I think we're going to wrap up here. Um, it's a it's a complex conversation, and I appreciate you waiting through this with uh, with me, Kylie, for for our listeners. Oh, likewise, James. Always a pleasure. <laughs> so you know, one of the tools I just wanted to we'll post other resources too, but one of the tools I just wanted to give a little shout out to, and uh, you know, I know Mark. Uh, 
and uh, I apologize in advance if I'm going to butcher his name. I don't know if it's Sabai, Mark Sabai. It's or Sabai. Mark, oh, it's not Mark Cabage. No, it's Mark Sabai. I kind of like the way Cabage sounds. <laughs> anyway, Mark's a great guy, and Mark has worked with another great colleague of ours, Jamie Gamble, uh, to develop a, a DE, Diagnostic Checklists tool. And it's a really useful tool that I've found working with teams. It helps them go through and uh, review their uh, situation to determine whether it might be a candidate for developmental evaluation, the adaptive capacity that they have or don't, uh, the readiness for DE, and then uh, walks them through some of the preparation uh, that they'll need to go through to actually do a DE. So I'd encourage folks uh, to take a look at that tool and uh, hope it's helpful. I know uh, Jamie's told us that he's open to feedback on the tool. Um, So at this point, Kylie, do you want to um, uh, maybe give us a snippet about what's coming up next week? Yeah, I I just wanted to say, though, that we'd also be interested in hearing what comments you have about developmental evaluation, either from the perspective as an internal or an external evaluator. And so you can always use the comments box on our website, which is adventuresinevaluation.podbean.com. And if you want to send us a private email to James or myself, adventuresinevaluationpodcast at gmail.com. And next week, James, do you know who's coming to visit? I think it's Susan Kistler. That's right, Susan Kistler. So Susan is the Executive Director of the American Evaluation Association. We're really excited to have her on because she's going to be giving us a sneak preview into what's coming up and what's new at this year's AEA conference in Minneapolis. So look forward to talking to her. That'd be great. Yeah. I hope you have a great long weekend. You too, James. I will. See you soon. You too. Bye-bye. Bye.